Hello, and welcome back to the Rambling Hippie Podcast. I'm thankful that you're here, and I just want to say thank you for your patience with me over the last couple of months. I know some of you probably think that I just killed off the podcast after a couple episodes, but that's actually not the case. I finally got some help editing it, so I should be more consistent going forward with one to two episodes per month. For episode three, I interview Madison Moeller. She's a peer of mine in the Oklahoma cannabis industry. We met at a women in weed brunch a while back, and I really related to some of the experiences that she shared. So I've invited her on to discuss some of those experiences. I do want to issue a trigger warning because we're going to be discussing um, some shared traumas um, that both she and I had growing up in the church and in narcissistic relationships. Madison is going to share a great deal of her personal journey with us, and I want you to be in a good headspace space to hear it. I also want to note that our discussion about the church obviously does not encompass every church. Um, I know many wonderful churchgoers. I know many churches that are really doing good things in communities, etc. So I don't want to take away from that. She and I, however, are going to be discussing some negative experiences that we had and unfortunately some trauma. At the end, we'll kind of circle back to how cannabis has helped each of us on our healing journey and what Madison is up to in the cannabis industry now. The interview was recorded over Zoom while Madison was driving, and I think I was using speakerphone, so the audio quality is not great. So just bear with us through the glitches and variances. I just kind of want to give you the floor to tell everybody who you are, what you're about. Give us a little backstory on who you are and, um, you know, how Madison came to be the Madison that she is today. <laughs> wow, that's a bit, that's a loaded question. Um, it is, it is. First and foremost, I am so thankful and grateful that you even asked me. I'm very flattered. So I did grow up in the church, super conservative. I was fourth generation in the congregation I grew up in. My great-grandparents had helped start it. My grandmother had grown up there. My mother had grown up there. I grew up there. And I would compare that experience to kind of like being a pastor's kid. Everybody in my world felt like they were entitled to an opinion about my life. Everybody already knew my backstory before I met them 90% of the time. It was interesting. The kind of complication with that um, from the get-go in my life was my parents had become pregnant with me unwed. And so that was very scandalous to that congregation. Oh, yeah. They that's a very, had, very big deal. Yeah. So, like, they had had my mom, you know, apologize for me before the entire congregation. And it was always, like, made very clear to me that we were different because she was a single mother. And... There were, you know, like just little nuanced things like people really pitying you or people not allowing their kids to come over to our house because they thought my mom would be somehow a bad influence like on their toddler. So growing up, you kind of felt shunned and like you already had this perception of yourself based on what they were projecting onto you that made you feel like you were different and that somehow you guys were not good enough. I understand that because growing up a preacher's kid, my parents split up before I was one. And that was, you know, divorce is not something that's really acceptable. So it was just one of those things with us that no one ever talked about, that it was just kind of, you know, that it was a sin. So it, yeah. it just wasn't discussed. Well, and, and mine weren't, you know, my parents weren't married. So she just fell pregnant and, uh, you know, as a college student and, 
even though she recommitted her life to God and got back into the church and, you know, ended up remarrying when I was seven and lived a very conservative Christian existence, they never quit treating us like we were different because of that one thing. I had in adolescence, like my youth pastor and one of the youth leaders, and then three of the girls that I was close to in the youth group staged an intervention after one of the girls had seen me get my first kiss at school. My parents had no idea. They, I showed up to youth group that night and they pulled me aside in a different room from everybody else to talk to me about how concerned they were for my behavior. I think around that age, they were making us um, get, is it a purity ring? When you uh-huh. make a promise? I have one. Yeah. So we had to go before the church at like 15 um, and, and profess, you know, our promise to never have sex before marriage, um, which was pretty intense at that age because you're just getting curious about, you know, the opposite sex anyway. And here we are like making this promise that felt at the time, like, um, a little bit binding and like, why do we have to do this? <laughs> well, I had a purity ring before I understood what sex was. Yeah. Right. So it's like, you uh, don't even really know what you're, you're promising. You just know that you're told that like, this is bad and you're, you know, condemned if you, right. if you engage before marriage. So I'm sure that that really, that all of that really shaped your perception of relationships. So I, I think you and I probably fell within the height of the purity culture movement age-wise from my understanding of it, because I've talked to my mother about it and she, cause she grew up within the same congregation and she does not remember it being drilled in nearly as intensely in the eighties as it was by the time I was a teenager. And I've done some reading on that. And I think it has a lot of people think that that movement has to do with like the AIDS, a reaction to the AIDS virus and being discovered and absolutely all of that. And the, then the whole Joshua Harris, I Kiss Dating Goodbye book that took off in the 90s. And it was big, big theological shift on how emphatic they were with teenagers, with our age group on that issue. There's nothing inherently wrong with, you know preaching purity and suggesting that you wait because I can see, I can see, you know, the benefits of doing that. But I think that it was just with with us, probably just the way that it was pushed upon us that made it, um, that, that created some confusion and even trauma for a lot of people. I know for me, some of the issues that kind of I ran into with it. One, I learned when I went off to Bible college, because I did to go to Bible college, 95% of kids that are in youth groups don't wait until marriage to have sex. So that means 95 out of every 100 kids that are taught a purity culture sermon are being shamed for actions that they're actively doing. Then you start thinking, you know, there's something wrong with me or I've sinned against God and you start trying to like reconcile. For me, the reconciliation was just hurrying up and getting married. Yeah, and the and that's the only sin in the church too, premarital sex and losing your virginity before marriage that they teach fundamentally changes your identity in some capacity as being a virgin to a non-virgin and having to carry that identity shift for one action. And so that bothered on a deep level that they put that on teenagers, especially when 95% of them clearly don't succeed in attaining that goal. There's something going on, you know, but... I did. I made it until marriage a virgin because I felt additional pressure to do so. Having that kind of extra microscope and spotlight be put on me my whole life from my mom. Because of all of that, to prove that I was good. I dreamed of becoming the children's pastor to serve that congregation in part because I genuinely had a heart for it and I 
love that church. My family had helped build it for generations. But also, I think at some level, I was trying to prove that I was the perfect little girl and I could meet their expectations. Right. I can relate to that pressure. You know, being a preacher's kid and already having like kind of a target on my back, I felt like I was always under a watchful eye. I also felt like that added sense of pressure to prove myself good. <laughs> and for me, it led to, you know, walking the aisle during an invitation and, you know, pre- professing my salvation before I even really knew what salvation was. Even though I didn't wait until marriage, it's like w- once you've gone there, you think you have to get married to make it right. And so that's kind of where. I was. And also, I mean, I don't know about your church, but I'm assuming if they were very conservative and they were somewhat aligned with how, um, with the church that I was raised in. But once you're married, you are really taught that this is your husband. You are to do and care for him and to let him lead. You're basically at your husband's mercy. You're his property. You, um, you know, ideally you would be with a, a Christian man who wouldn't lead you astray, but that it's very deceiving because when you end up with someone who doesn't actually from a place of love all the time. It can be very confusing because you're taught that you're supposed to stand by your husband, follow his lead, do what he says, basically. Your body belongs to him. You're to serve him, essentially. Shout out today's sponsor, The Mystic Dreamer. She offers spiritual life coaching, oracle readings, and Reiki energy work. If you're interested in healing mind, body, and spirit, she has some awesome solutions. Find her at themysticdreamer.com. There's more details there about her services, her prices, and ways to reach out to her. Text her or call and leave a message at 940-703-0767. And let Stephanie guide you to your personal truth. Tell me about your relationship and how once you were married, things shifted for you. So my ex-husband and I dated for two years. I met, I had graduated high school at 16, gone straight to community college for two years. We met there and then I went off to Bible college. We got engaged my, at the, that January after in my third year of college. We were dating or engaged, like I said, a cumulative of two years um, before we got married. I actually walked down the aisle one month after my 20th birthday, almost exactly. And the entire time we were dating, I can see on hindsight things that may have been red flaggish. But I think growing up in the church, some of the behaviors that I would have now recognized as narcissism were so accepted in men that I didn't recognize it as any kind of anything that would be problematic. Yes. And so I missed a lot of red flags because that's just what was culturally normal to me. So we got married one month after my 20th birthday on a Sunday morning after church. I had been diagnosed six months prior with fibromyalgia and was just exhausted and didn't want to put forth a ton of effort into an elaborate wedding. I just wanted to be married. And so we ordered pizza for everybody and had a really laid back reception in the church gym. I mean, it was nothing elaborate like what people think of when they dream of their wedding day. Right. Very, very different. And then we left. And the second I got into the car, I broke down crying. And I could not articulate to him why I was sobbing so hard. But it was like, I just knew that I knew in my soul something wasn't right that whole day. And I still think that that was something in my conscience, in my inner self saying, run. 
you're about to make a, a really detrimental decision. Right. I just didn't have anything concrete enough at that point to explain it or justify that feeling. So I thought it was cold feet and I forced myself through it. I'd also like to point out that I think that growing in, growing up in um, such a conservative, strict church environment, low-key teaches you not to trust your intuition. Oh, 100%. So everything is put your faith in God, put your faith in the leaders in your household, you know, the leaders in the church. Just pray for them, right? Just pray yeah. for your leaders. Especially as a woman, you know, any male authority figure in your life's judgment usurps yours your entire life. So if my father and my grandfather and my minister and my Sunday school, you know, if they all think it's great and they're all saying it, that's every male authority figure in my life. Uh, their judgment must be better than mine. That's what I've been taught since birth. Right. So I got married and I was a virgin, did not understand sex fully when I got married. I had been taught, and I know that sounds insane because I did grow up in public school. You were groomed to be quote, in the world and not of it. So you basically were taught how to properly stick your head in the sand in the secular world so that you didn't learn the things that they didn't want you to know. Yes. You articulated that really well. And so there was a lot about sex and sexuality that I was oblivious to because I had been quote, a good Christian girl and been compliant with how I was taught to handle that my whole life. And so anyway, my wedding night, we get to the, uh, it was actually a condo we had rented and he had driven and he basically demanded sex right then and there. I was very flustered, didn't know what to do. He was very aggressive and I ended up being raped on my wedding night. Wow. What a way to consummate the marriage. I know. Right. And I had just gotten married in front of 350 people that I wanted to serve as their children's minister in a denomination where divorce is pretty scandalous. Right. So what Gosh, do you I do? I mean, I was a 20 year old kid. I was vulnerable. I was scared. This was my husband. I had always been taught that my body belonged to my husband so that marital rape wasn't even really a possibility because in their view, I had just consented to what he had done in front of 350 people. I fully relate. And I can only imagine the cognitive dissonance that you were experiencing because you knew your body knew that this wasn't right, that you, that it was a betrayal to yourself on some subconscious level. And I'm sure that you felt very conflicted. I did incredibly. I was very confused. Our honeymoon lasted a week and he took the keys away, didn't allow me to leave without him to go anywhere. It was a horrific week. I mean, it was like a flip switch. He became a brutal monster overnight and I was trapped and didn't know what to do. And so I didn't really talk to anybody about it because I was just in shock. Here I was thought I was genuinely in love with this man. I thought he basically had possession of me and he was doing this too. So that kind of set the tone for our marriage. And I would sometimes kind of talk to my mom in indiscreet like hints about what was going on. I would like call her crying and be like, you know, we got in a fight today or whatever, but I would never say things that would make him look bad because I thought that would be dishonoring my husband. And I had always been taught not to do that. And that if I wanted a healthy marriage, that that needed to stay between he and I. I was very protective of what I did share. And I think a lot of the people in my life know more. They would have said something much faster. But the religious barriers of what I was kept me from ever sharing. And I was always very afraid of him. That if I did tell, what kind of brutality was I going to endure? Because it did not just stop at sexual violence. He was also just flat out physically aggressive. I am a very small woman. 
he was a personal trainer when we met and huge and would throw me around like a ragdoll. You know, I would miss holidays and he would lie to his family and say, I didn't show up because I just didn't like them. The reality of it was if I had shown up, they would have seen the bruises all over my body and started asking questions. So he forbade me from going. I can only imagine that that really tanked your physical health, especially if you were already diagnosed with fibromyalgia going into the marriage, right? Yes. So I was diagnosed at 19. He and I had been dating 18 months at that point. And like I said, I'm convinced he's a narcissist. He proposed within like a month of my diagnosis and like was like, I will take care of you because I was being told I'm going to be fully disabled the rest of my life. I'll never have a career. I'll never have anything. And I'm thinking, wow, here's this great man that wants to take care of me. Of course, I'll marry you. At that point, I hadn't found cannabis yet. I was still just on like pharmaceuticals and they weren't working. You know, kind of at the pink of the violence, I was 65 pounds heavier, sleeping like 14 hours a day to get through life. Oh, man. And not able to work full time and not able to do anything. I would listen to audiobooks all day uh, when, I, when I was in too much pain to sleep. Because what it would do is I would get to this point where it was like I couldn't sleep, but I also couldn't move. It was mm-hmm. too exhausting to move. And so I would just listen to the audiobooks on the lowest volume that I possibly could t- tolerate because fibromyalgia also causes sensory issues. And when you're flaring, it's worse. Mm. Um, and it really started to open my mind. And I would specifically, because I was desperate to get better, I would specifically listen to things about my health. I would also listen to things about spirituality. And I ended up accidentally stumbling upon a lot of um, really good literature and counter arguments to a lot of the... <laughs> Christendom I had been raised in Mm -hmm. um, through reading just secular literature on the subject and started asking a lot of questions. I, you know, over those four years, I inched and baby stepped my health physically. I also got into therapy and started really start, you know, kind of breaking down and noticing, hey, maybe it isn't okay that he treats me this way. Mm -hmm. Maybe I should be allowed to have friends. So that was another thing he would do. He would control me financially, socially, yada, yada, yada. But he always justified that he was my husband. Well, that's called financial abuse when you don't even know what's in your own bank account. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but of course, if I don't know, I can't leave. Like as I got to therapy for other things to work on how my health was affecting me mentally, I ended up flipping out things to my therapist that gave her pause and started having her ask me questions about my marriage mm-hmm. that started helping me break down a lot of what I was living. Yes. Um, I want to, I want to jump in here to just say like, (laughs) the more you talk, the more I'm like, uh, yes, yes, yes. My experience too, because I was married at 20 and it wasn't until I hit rock bottom and mind you, I was married and then divorced within like a year and a half. And I thought that after that, I had to get into a relationship and make it last. So that next relationship that I got into, I waited like six months to bring him around my kid. Um, and after he came around my kid, I was like, well, that's it. You know, I'm committed, you know. Um, and so even though we weren't married, I took on the the perspective. I was kind of had to prove to myself that there wasn't something wrong with me and that, you know, I could have this committed and, and good uh, relationship. And so I got into a relationship, unbeknownst to me, with a covert narcissist. Yes. Um, and without getting into all of the abuse, which mine was never like black eyes, it was being thrown around, being choked, being restrained. Um, anytime I called him out on anything, 
um, there was huge outbursts and I had to pay for it dearly. Um, and yep. it was, it wasn't until I hit rock bottom, you know, after five years of being in this relationship where I was manipulated, I was gaslit, given the silent treatment to teach me a lesson, all of these things that weren't right. And I ignored the flags over those years because I thought like, you know, I've already given myself to this man where in a relationship, don't want to start over, going to make it work, all of those things, you know, that your subconscious tells you. And I was completely overlooking red flags because I had been taught to do so. I listened to, like you said, male authority figures do some of the same things um, as far as, as far as gaslighting. And um, anyway, it just put me in a, a state of cognitive dissonance where my health completely tanked. And although I never had like any kind of formal diagnosis. I felt like I was losing my mind. I didn't have any energy to go to work. I was running my own business at that point and I would have to close the store. I would have to post on Instagram like we're going to be closed today because I would need to stay in bed. And I felt like a terrible mom. I felt like a terrible person because here he was, he was perfectly fine, able to go to work and perform perfectly and, you know, socialize and be with his friends. And it seemed like all of the problems were with me. Um, and I remember Googling, like, am I depressed and physically sick because of an unhealthy relationship or is my relationship unhealthy because I'm going through these things mentally, I guess. And it wasn't until I got into therapy that the, the therapist was able to like repeat back to me enough of, of my own story in a different way that made me go, wait a minute, like this isn't okay. This is actually a form of abuse. You said that you got into to Audible and listening to audiobooks, and that resonated with me because around that same time that I hit rock bottom and realized that things needed to change, I also started listening to Audible and downloading these kind of like spiritual and self-help books. And it also led me, first I dug deeper into my Christian faith, and then it led me to listening to some secular things too, and eventually kind of comparing other religions and going, wait a minute. Like, this is all the same. I've just been, yeah. you know, all of this doctrine has been pushed on me when really all of these religions are the same and the messaging is the same. And that's when I kind of had to learn to trust my own intuition. And so I want to know for you when that kind of clicked. Honestly, the day my husband walked out on me. This was four years into the relationship? four years in. Yes. So his final tuition check, my parents had put him through college, dropped on Thursday. And that Sunday morning, he packed up his bags and left me for another woman. Found out later, he had been cheating on me the entire time we were dating, the entire time we were engaged, and the entire time we were married. Because I was a virgin and had not put out, he justified it as he was not getting it from me for those two years. So he got it from somebody else. And then he was just used to it. There are always justifications, no matter how horrific the behavior. Yeah, it wasted six years of my life because he wanted to get laid. I, I don't understand that. Just get laid. Anyway. He walked out on me and my world shattered. I realized my home was in his name. My car was in his name. All my bank accounts, everything was his. I knew nothing about my entire life because I had been a good Christian wife. I ended up having to move back in with my parents because he took my housing from me. Uh, it's taken me three years to get his name off of it. 
And my parents were able to get a lawsuit filed to have him pay back his college tuition. He's paying them back for the next 10 years. Anywho, I moved back in with my parents and then I quickly got a job in property management so that I could get housing easily. My credit had been destroyed, I had found out, because he had taken out credit cards in my name to fund his affair, which I have just recently been able to get paid off. And I started working my butt off. And Cannabis had become legal during that time frame, so I was able to get higher grade medical cannabis through good, consistent sources, which was able to help me treat my condition better. Um, cannabis is the only substance on the face of the planet that rebuilds the protective coating around my nerve endings that my immune system eats away every day. Mm-hmm. And so it actively fights my disease and it's the only thing that can do it. And so getting to kind of come out of the shadows from having a dealer to being able to go to a dispensary and get premium grade stuff that's consistently tested, yada, yada, yada. My health did a 180. I was able to transition well during those two years and leasing off of four medications. I went from having to sleep 14 hours a day to sleeping a normal eight. Um, I continued to lose weight and got in the best shape of my life. I was able to have the energy to start working on the dietary changes I needed to make, which also impacted my health tremendously. All of this actually stemmed from me sitting there listening to audiobooks and podcasts and information on my disease and hearing that cannabis could fix me and that it could heal me and that it was the only thing out there that was a viable treatment for fibromyalgia that treated the disease instead of just treating the symptoms. Right. That's incredible. That's incredible. So I'm glad that you were open to it because I I have to assume that you were probably raised to think of cannabis as a drug. So I had one friend in my entire world who I knew smoked cannabis and he moved in with me, would get it brought in in large quantities for us. And then I later found my own dealer and ended up making my own edibles. And I mean, it was just a whole thing kind of very breaking bad in my kitchen the little <laughs> church girl trying to hide it trying to get better like, I would like not call maintenance on things for a couple days so the house wouldn't stink so I wouldn't get caught and like my ex-husband hated it hated it hated it hated it he treated me like a horrible druggy junkie even though I was actively getting better in front of him um I would smoke in our bathroom with the fan turned on and do all of that stuff but it was working and so I mean, after what I had suffered and the excruciating pain I had lived in for years, I didn't really care anymore. I was just so thrilled to be finally feeling better and not to be, because I was actually being hospitalized for pain management quarterly at that point. Since I've used cannabis, I have not been hospitalized one time. That's incredible. That really helped you uh, get back on your feet and get back moving and going to work and feeling better. And so I also am curious if you noticed that cannabis helped you mentally, because I know like going through all that you went through had to be really mentally uh, strenuous too. Honestly, it was one of the only ways I survived it. (laughs) I was diagnosed with PTSD in part due to childhood stuff before I ever got divorced. Mm -hmm. But it was determined that I had definitely have complex PTSD after what I lived through. And just after a history of all kinds of stuff. One awesome thing that cannabis does for PTSD patients is when your adrenaline for that fight or flight mode starts spiking, you, it actually can block the like little receptors in your brain that would cause you to continue to freak out. 
or is the Madison version of explaining that? There's no way better scientific explanation for that than that. Probably. No, I'm so <laughs> no, I'm so glad that you explained it like that um, because I too have complex PTSD, and like you're saying, it was there was stuff already there from childhood, and then that relationship with the narcissist and the narcissistic abuse just like blew the lid off of it. Um, yep. So I knew that it helped me with my PTSD and the anxiety that comes with that, but I would not have known to word it that way. And so like what you're saying is that it, it kind of helps calm the nervous system. And that makes, yep. that makes so much sense because when I am consuming, I, I'm not as easily triggered by like loud noises or, um, you know, just different things that can come up throughout the day that would normally trigger that complex PTSD and send you into fight or flight mode. So using cannabis kind of helped you. Yeah. Stop it in its tracks and help me kind of like process through the triggers, right? Yeah. Pretty much kind of calms the, calms the symptoms some down so that you can get through whatever it is that did trigger you. Because unfortunately with PTSD, you know, sometimes it is a mouse and you perceive a bear and being able to keep yourself calm enough to understand that that's a mouse is important. Right. Right. I know it has, it has really helped me. Um, you know, my cannabis use has really helped me in like parenting my kids because there are a lot of uncontrollables when you have small children. Um, Mm -hmm. and and they would trigger me all the time without even realizing it, you know? Um, and I, I definitely noticed that once I started using cannabis more regularly, not just like to sleep at night, but like in smaller doses throughout the day that I was able to maintain more calm with them. So it's, mm-hmm. it's very, it's very validating to hear you say that you used it in the same way and it kind of calmed you Yeah. because I'm, I'm sure that there will be people listening to this who also struggle with similar things. So, well, and the reality of it was my PTSD was so severe that I knew my therapist knew that you know, working through it through talk therapy and all, it wasn't going to cut it to get me through the season of life I needed it to. Right. Because I do think that mindfulness and other wellness practices have a place in helping, not necessarily, I don't want to say heal from PTSD because I feel like those triggers, the experiences are always there, but having that extra something in this case, cannabis to also regulate like the nervous system at a, on a physical level, because even when you're trying to power through with positive mindset and meditation and all of this other stuff, sometimes the body will still have a reaction that you can't really control. And I I really appreciate that cannabis has come in there. And I'm glad to hear that it has helped you too. And that you were able to like shift your perspective on cannabis in the first place, because a lot of people never make it past like, oh, it's, it's a drug, you know, during like the dare period and all of that. Some people are not able to look past that to see like that this could be a medicine that could really improve their life. So I think it's really important that we, you know, tell these stories. Yeah, absolutely. Well, the reality of it was until the 1930s, it was medicine. It's only been in recent history that it's ever been looked down upon. Right. I think it's awesome that we're, you know, doing our part to decrease stigma and that there's a space now for for people to kind of shift their perspective. And now there's more education out there. So hopefully more people who have had similar struggles will find cannabis and, you know, find some benefit there. Um, Because I know like for me, it's, it's helped me 
with my bodily responses. It's helped me mentally. And then, you know, the spiritual aspect for me, I wouldn't have even known to describe it as spiritual at first, but, you know, it really has helped me connect my mind, body, and spirit in a way that I feel much more in alignment. And I really had come to the realization over time that my beliefs no longer aligned with what I was being taught. I was pro-cannabis use. I was fine with my divorce. You know, I had Mm -hmm. no control over that. I was, there were just a lot of things that over time I went, you know, this isn't a healthy situation for me to be a part of anymore. Well, I think that it's amazing for one that you were able to kind of confront that, I'm going to say toxic belief system and kind of remove yourself from it because it's hard. It is hard. It's hard to unlearn. It's hard to shed limiting beliefs, especially, you know, at what you're told is the cost of your eternal life, right? You're giving up to kind of question and shed some of these things. I, I too am no longer involved in church in any capacity and haven't been for years. And even after I started using cannabis and kind of had some of these awakenings, I still kind of felt a bit of dis-ease, I'm going to say. I mean, I think I can confidently say that I give cannabis a lot of the credit for kind of bringing me back home to my spiritual self and discovering this spiritual aspect of myself outside of religion because it was so ingrained in me that religion was the only way, that that specifically the Christian religion was the only way. And to find freedom on the other side of that is a, a beautiful thing. And I think it's incredible that this, this plant that we use for so many other things kind of assisted with that. Yeah. Well, it expands your mind. It brings you to a different state of consciousness when you're on it. And so disrupting thought patterns and you start having ideas and thoughts that you never considered before and probably wouldn't without it. Um, And I think that's a really hard concept to explain to somebody who's never had it in their system before, but it really does start making mental connections for you that you're like, oh, wow. Right. Think about that way before. I actually didn't realize that when I first started using cannabis, I was just using it like to be able to sleep. I realized very quickly that it gave me insights that I wasn't prepared for or expecting. And a few months in actually to my full on cannabis use, and I want to be delicate in how I explain this so that it's interpreted uh, the right way. But a few months into my kind of full-time cannabis use, I had what I consider to be a mental breakdown or a breakthrough. Or um, my therapist was like, um, was this, you know, like maybe a little bit of psychosis? And it's like, mm, yeah, possibly. But what I think, what I think it did for me is that I was in such a place of stress and trying to figure out what to do about that toxic relationship that I was trying to get away from. And then the cannabis came in and like flooded my brain with all of these insights. And it's like all of a sudden I had all of the answers. And sometimes it's not easy to take all of those answers and integrate them into your life, depending on where you're at. And so that was really hard for me, realizing that I needed to make all of these changes in order to heal and be happy. And it was very overwhelming for a while. So now I hear people talk about like using high THC strains and how like people with psychotic disorders of any kind should not be using cannabis. And I'm not going to to speak on that because I am not a medical professional. However, I do see this other connection that's not really, it's not really about the cannabis. I think that it's yeah. about what we have stored up in ourselves, you know, from a lifetime of experiences. And then you use this plant that opens your eyes to kind of, it kind of lets you step outside of yourself. Yeah. Um, and kind of be an observer for a minute. 
Right. And, and if you've been through a lot of shit or you've, you know, made bad decisions or you've been through trauma, it will bring that stuff to the surface and kind of force you to deal with it. And, you know, for some people, they may not be ready for that. Some people have very bad experiences when they first have to confront that stuff because they go, wait, 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 that wasn't supposed to happen. I was supposed to be having a party. Yeah, absolutely. And so I know for me, right after that um, experience, I got into therapy. I'm not going to lie. Like I really tanked. I tanked because I didn't, I didn't yet realize like what I needed to do to get in alignment. And sometimes what it takes to get in alignment is you have to let your entire life fall apart. Yep. And that's what it took for me. I, you know, I put myself in a position to where I couldn't pay my rent anymore. And Mm -hmm. I just said to hell with it. And I had never like, I mean, I had great credit up to this point and like made really smart financial moves. But when this happened, I moved out of my apartment, broke my lease. And a lot of things just had to really kind of be ripped out from under me in order for me to get back on this path of alignment and like come back to who I really was and my purpose. I think I I completely connect with that. You know, I had absolutely everything I thought was the paradigm for normal basically came crashing down the day my husband left. It took me absolutely losing my home, my spouse, every friend I had, the church I had grown up in, the career path I thought I was going to have, you know, having lost my body years earlier, all of it for me to sit down and go, okay, then what makes me intrinsically me? What do I have left after all of this? Yeah. And sometimes it's very minimal, right? Like you have to start at Mm -hmm. ground zero. Yeah. But what you're left with is who you are. And that's kind of cool sometimes too. It is very cool. And to be in that position where you can rebuild yourself in an authentic way and leave out the pieces that don't resonate anymore. Exactly. It's a journey, but it's worth going on. Shout out today's sponsor, The Mystic Dreamer. She offers spiritual life coaching, oracle readings, and Reiki energy work. If you're interested in healing mind, body, and spirit, she has some awesome solutions. Find her at themysticdreamer.com. There's more details there about her services, her prices, and ways to reach out to her. Text to her or call and leave a message at 940-703-0767. And let Stephanie guide you to your personal truth and power. Absolutely. And you've been on this journey for four years? Four years now. That's amazing. And like things have just completely changed. I find that very, very interesting because I had to close down my store in September of 2018. So it's been about four years. Uh, right for, around the same time. Too. Yeah. Yeah. And this, this rebuilding process is messy at times, but it's also beautiful. So I'm really proud of you for, you know, taking those steps and really choosing yourself. Above well, thank all. you. I'm curious what advice you would give to your younger self or someone in similar positions, whether it be um, a toxic relationship with a partner, a toxic belief system or anything like that. What advice would you give to younger Madison or someone in a similar situation as younger Madison that would help you navigate through some of that really hard stuff? What I wish somebody had told me back then, because I didn't, I learned what domestic violence was and marital rape really looked like 
actually from watching Law and Order Special Victims Unit. It was from TV that I learned those vocab- like the vocabulary for it, what grooming was, what narcissism was, all of it. Go Detective Olivia Vincent. I wish somebody had told me, and I wish I had known, that had I stayed any longer, I'd probably be dead. I wish somebody would have had that real conversation with me of, kid, he's strangling you. He's going to mm-hmm. kill you if you don't leave. And I know that's a really tough thing to hear when you're in that situation of domestic violence. Mm-hmm. But it's the hard truth. And, it, and when you put it in terms of, of your life is in danger, I don't think the entire time I was living in it that the gravity of that ever sunk in. I fully agree. Same with me. And I think um, more young women in these situations do need to hear that. I don't know about you, but I mean, four years into this and I'm still on a daily basis having to process through triggers and go, well, may- well wait a minute, maybe I need to look at that a different way. Oh, Absolutely. And I would not wish that on anyone. I wish I had run faster. So I didn't, you know, I thought if I had run it six months, I wouldn't have that last three and a half years of memories. I also was always very protective of him. And so people always just thought we were having neural issues and would Mm -hmm. counsel me back to him. And that was very toxic. Um, I wish I had one been more transparent with the people in my world, but I too wish the people in my world had seen through me a little bit better, if that makes sense. Absolutely. I actually, I actually made a Facebook post a few years ago um, where I was saying, you know, and, and it wasn't on my friends. I, I realized that, but I, I do remember making a post where I was saying, you know, be careful what kind of advice you're giving your loved ones because yeah. you never know you know, the weight of that advice, because like you, I was getting a lot of advice that was like, you know, we all have our, our bad stuff and, you know, just keep loving him and praying for him, et cetera, et cetera. When, mm-hmm. when really we needed to be told to leave, we needed to be told to choose ourselves and that that was okay. Yep. And the other advice, honestly, I would say do not get a Christian therapist. Um, I was in therapy for two years talking about stuff and being counseled back and forth, flip-flopped on whether or not I should go. And that was very psychologically damaging. I can imagine. So choose a secular therapist. We were told to always seek Christian counselors. Absolutely. You never go to a secular counselor. Right. And preferably someone in the church. And that's within your denomination. Yeah. And so a lot of times they'll know you. They'll know the other person in the relationship. Um, Uh Sometimes you really just need an objective opinion and someone who can really see things um, from a wider perspective. So the thing that still stands out to me that I was counseled on regularly was that it it was told to me often that God used marriage to work out the sin in people, basically to buffer people. And it's like on hindsight, uh, you know, and I bought it back then on hindsight. I'm like, how dare you tell a young 22 year old girl who's being abused, that it's her responsibility to buff out the fact that she's being abused in her abuser. Yeah. I'm with you. I too would tell my younger self, you know, I would echo what you said. I would say this is serious and it, it's okay to choose you. It's okay to do what you feel is right. And I think that when, if you've been in a relationship with a narcissist or had a narcissistic uh, family member, you've been gaslit and made to question mm-hmm. your, your own intuition. And that was the hardest part for me is learning to trust my own intuition and to make healthy decisions. And so I think I would also too just urge anyone in a similar situation, listen to your body because when you get around someone or in an environment and your body starts to tense up and have a reaction, that is your body letting you know that 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 is not a safe 
environment or situation for you. And so when it came to intuition, I, I just had to start listening to my body first. That's what my therapist told me. And I realized that my body would give me signals that I mentally would not even pick up on at first. Listening to your body is a really good place to start with learning to trust your own intuition. Don't let others project shame onto you because inevitably, if you are trying to leave a toxic relationship, a toxic uh, family dynamic, a toxic church environment, work environment, etc., you just really have to listen to yourself and not let any of the, the projected guilt fall back on you. Don't internalize that because you know what's best for you better than yeah. anyone else. Fast forward to today, you and I were working in cannabis and I think both with purpose I don't know about yeah. you, but I feel I feel so much better about the work that I'm doing now because I believe in it and can confidently, you know, talk about it to people and say, hey, like this could really this could really improve your life. Cannabis had a community around it. It had saved my life, literally. And it gave me the ability to help other people. And so it kind of hit every marker that I was really looking for career pathwise when I left, left that dream behind. I really thank you for talking with me and just your, your personality is fantastic. And I, I see that you're doing a lot of stuff in the community, in the cannabis industry, and I commend you for it. And I would love for you to tell us uh, quickly about, you have a book club, right? So I have a book club. It actually meets every third Thursday of the month from 6 to 8 p.m. at Wampa in the Women in Weed Loft in Tulsa. So that's going to be off of Charles Page Boulevard, kind of just outside of downtown. If you're in the Tulsa area, check out Madison's book club at the Dope Women in Weed Loft every third Thursday from 6 to 8, you said? Every third Thursday. And then I also, my day job, I represent several different companies. I sell cannabis to dispensaries, basically. So I'm the in-between person from the processor and the grows to the dispensary front. I love it because I get to see mom and pops and like local Okies make their dreams come true every day. You know, I'm surrounded by entrepreneurs all the time. It's super fun. I love that for you. So tell us how we can support you. Where can we follow you, connect with you? I am the Molinator on Instagram. So y'all are all welcome to follow along. I always will share information on my book club there. Dope Women in Weed, if you just type that in, that website also features a calendar, which includes information and updates on the book club. If you are interested in, you know, supporting me monetarily, you can always buy my cannabis from several of the dispensaries I'm in. I represent Holistic Heights and GT Strings and Cactus Flowers. You'll see me around town. There's several of them out there. Cool. Well, we can definitely look those brands up on uh, Weed Maps and Leafly and find yes. where uh, to support those brands. Spell out your Instagram name for us. T-H-E underscore M-O-E-L-L-E-N-A-T-O-R. Perfect. So we'll follow you there and connect and hopefully the Dispo people hearing this will reach out. I would love that. Yeah. Well, thank I'm, you so much for your time and sharing a really personal story with us. I think that some of the people who will hear this podcast will be impacted. And so thank you. Thank you so much for sharing. Well, thank you for the opportunity to share and the platform to kind of tell my story. So thank you. Yes, absolutely. Um, maybe we'll have you back sometime. I'm definitely going to uh, hit up my best friend about checking out this book club together. I'm, I'm excited. I would love to have you guys out. I think it's going to be a good time.